Hello, folks. I am Trevor Welsh, and I thank you for tuning in to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Fort Worth District's podcast, Life is Better at the Lake, the only podcast that brings you all the greatness and splendor of our 25 lakes across the great state of Texas. As always, this podcast is made possible by the U.S. Armed Forces Service members, whose bravery and sacrifice allow you to listen to this and other great podcasts whenever, wherever, and however you want. To get the full effect, you can watch my guest and I interact on the YouTube version of this podcast. But if you're in a car, or at the gym, or you just don't like seeing my face, subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts so you'll be notified when each monthly episode is published. Details will be in the description. Also, feel free to send comments to public.affairs at usace.army.mil. Now, sit back and get ready to learn why life is better at the lake. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Life is Better at the Lake. I'm your host, Trevor Welsh, and I'm here with Lindy Black. She is a natural resource specialist out at Benbrook, park ranger, if you were, out at Benbrook. And if you could tell by our surroundings, today we are actually on the lake, and life is good, isn't it, Lindy? It is absolutely good. Thanks for coming out, Trevor. I really Thanks for having it. me. Thanks for getting the boat out and pulling out all the stops. Yeah, we've had a lot of fun so far getting everything set up for your viewing pleasure. Hopefully you're watching on the YouTube version and not just listening on SoundCloud. We're going to go ahead and get started. Lindy, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you came to be a park ranger out at Benbrook. Okay, well, uh, I've worked for the Corps uh, in April for 11 years. I started as an intern when I was 15 turning 16. Then... Uh, once I got accepted into school, started trying to transition into a Pathways uh, program student and realized about halfway through that I wanted to switch over to operations um, division within the Corps at Fort Worth District. So I became a summer ranger uh, in May of 13. Uh, I graduated college in December of 14 and they proceeded to hire me on full time. So I've been at Benbrook uh, permanent since December of 14. Yeah, that's, uh, that's quite a journey. But all those decisions sounds like it led you to a place that you really like to be, huh? Yeah, all, so tell me about tell me about some of your favorite parts of being a park ranger out here at Benbrook. You know, that that is not an easy question to answer, but I think I would have to say that being a park ranger, I get to wear uh, every single different kind of hat almost every day today uh we're out at the lake having we did a little bit of riding around on the boat had so then uh sometimes you got to go put on your patrolling hat sometimes you got to go switch into flood risk management mode sometimes you got to do public education sometimes public mediation uh there's just every day you don't know what you're gonna exactly walk into and i like that there are a lot of days where you show up you have a plan uh you try to stick to that plane as much as possible, but this drop throws a curveball at you, and I honestly enjoy that challenge. I've only known you for a couple months now, and since I've known you, you've taught fifth graders about water safety. You acted as a tour guide for me going around the parks around Benbrook. You cleared out debris from a recent flood. You acted as a maintenance worker 
repairing or building a, a fishing pier. Uh, what else? <laughs> so yeah, oh, you um, you guys do it all out here. How many rangers you got out at Benbrook? So we have uh, four permanent uh, rangers with one lead ranger and three park rangers. We also have a summer ranger that comes on uh, during the summer to help support us. Uh, and that's our full staffing for a, a, a lake that has seven parks. Yeah. And they're pretty big parks, huh? They're decent size. Our largest uh, park is a campground that has 105 campsites. Our smallest park is an overlook uh, that can, you know, house a decent uh, bit of, of traffic on a, a pretty busy weekend. Yeah. And just recently, uh, the parks, the day use parks reopened up and we're filming this on the 18th of May, but you probably won't see it, viewers, until the end of the month but by that time the campsites will be open right yeah absolutely so uh recently we actually had a pretty big flood event uh we're still in the process of trying to get uh two of our campgrounds open south holiday campground is uh, set to open on the 20th so by the time you listen to this hopefully you're already out camping with us then towards the end of the month we're going to try and get bear creek campground open which is also kind of like a local favorite. It's got a little bit less uh, campsites, but uh, we just concentrated our efforts on trying to open up South Holiday Campground because of the, such a large capacity. So that's where we were concentrating our efforts. Now, once it opens up on the 20th, then we're gonna change directions and, and head to Bear and, and try to get it up to speed. This is the, uh, this lake is the closest to the DFW Metroplex, right? I would it actually say borders so, yeah. parts of Fort Worth, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So most of uh, Benbrook Lake is actually in the city of Fort Worth. Uh, we have a little bit that touches uh, the city of uh, Benbrook and parts that also touch the city of Crowley. Uh, so we have a lot of different, there's a lot of different boundary lines that you have to be cognizant of whenever you're patrolling because am I in Fort Worth? Am I in Benbrook? You, know, you just need to be aware of that. Right on. Tell me a little bit about the history of the lake and how it came to be. So early, in the early 1900s, uh, there was a couple big flood events. Uh, downtown Fort Worth flooded. You actually had mentioned in your first podcast talking about some of the flooding that had happened, especially with the Montgomery Ward building. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe it got up to like the fourth floor up mm -hmm. in there. So whenever that these flood events happened, um, the Congress dictated the Corps of Engineers, actually at the time Galveston District, because Fort Worth District wasn't created yet. Mm -hmm. And they said, hey, Congress, or Congress said, hey, uh, Galveston, we want you guys to go build uh, a dam to help stop some of the flooding for downtown Fort Worth and some of its residents. So they passed some money and construction began in uh, 1947 in May. And then five years later, it, uh, in 1952, around September, uh, that's when impoundment began. So the lake started filling up with water and uh, they honestly don't make, seems like they don't make dams like Benbrook anymore. <laughs> it is sturdy. It is, uh, it is an excellent uh, dam to work at because it just has, uh, it doesn't have as many problems and it's just a really well built, built dam. And it's a, uh, what type of dam is it? Uh, earthen dam. Earthen embankment dam. Yeah. No, it's really nice. What is it? Like a thousand feet long? So it is about um, 9,000 feet long. Oh, 9, feet yeah, which long. is about total um, 1.7 miles mm -hmm. if you're including the uncontrolled spillway. And it it's about 130 feet tall. 130 feet tall. So what, um, 
What municipality draws water from this lake? So Tarrant Regional Water District uh, has a pumping station uh, on our on our lake, and they they pump the majority of the water out for water drinking supply. It gets pumped up along the pipeline or along Highway 20, where it gets treated. Also, the city of Weatherford has a small pumping station that they pipe uh, and and pump water through as well, but not as much as Tarrant Regional. Tell me a little bit about the recreation opportunities you have out here. Obviously, we're out on a boat. We're not necessarily recreating, but as we've been driving around, we've seen a few boats, some people fishing. There's a guy, can't really see it from here, but there's a guy over there that had a hammock. Yeah. Up. <laughs> yeah, I, w I mean, I think podcasting should be a form of recreating, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> sure. We're certainly groundbreaking that out. <laughs> um, so, like I said, we have seven parks, uh, two major campgrounds. Uh, we have obviously boating opportunities at any given moment. Uh, depending on lake level, we can have up to six or seven boat ramps that are pretty reliable to launch upon. Out over here, um, once we spin around enough, you'll see Mustang Park. That's probably our most popular boat ramp that we have a lot of local local fishermen that show up. So, so those involve, um, they they get out and, and, and fish all the local spots. They also do a lot of uh, uh, fishing tournaments out here out here as well. Um, there, obviously we have camping, we have, uh, I forget, it's like something like 20 miles of trails at least um, that goes in between North Holiday and South Holiday Parks and then also you have Rocky Creek uh, North and South trails down there which are really popular for equestrian trail riding um, and also in Rocky Creek they have we have large uh, multi-use areas or hunting areas that house some of the the most precious prairie in the North Texas area I think uh, in the North Texas area we have the largest uh, untouched prairie um, in, in the state which wow. is just excellent we worked really hard to try to keep it beautiful that's a good segue tell me a little bit about some of the natural resource management and wildlife preservation you do you guys do out here so recently uh, my partner Chris Brewer uh, he's the hunting uh, coordinator he uh, is in charge of our annual youth hunt uh, we have a large herd of uh, deer and Mustang a lot of does so we do a youth conservation hunt uh, partnership with Texas Parks and Wildlife uh, youth and they come out and they pick all the kids and we come up with the rules on trying to target what is what is exactly the core needs to make sure we're managing this land properly and uh, we close down the park for a weekend to make sure we following all the good uh, safety regulations and we do a youth hunt where we teach kids how to hunt properly we get a game warden out there to help them explain rules we get uh, one of us comes out there talks about water safety and the core mission and that I would say most recently that's a pretty a uh, big partnership we've done. We're also working with, I believe it's the Native Prairie Association to try to uh, keep some of that prairie looking beautiful, remove some woody debris. Um, we want to make sure that the prairie, the trees aren't taking over some of the prairie uh, and uh, make sure that it's able to properly grow and function. Uh, in the past, we've partnered with a uh, the Sid Richardson Foundation to do a uh, prescribed burn uh, because a lot of prairies in North Texas they they cycle through uh, fire um, so we've uh, certainly worked with them on that to uh, try to re revitalize the prairie and it worked it was it grew back beautiful great great do you have uh any issues with invasive species out here and if so what are you doing to combat 
Luckily, Benbrook hasn't been hit too hard with some invasive species. I know we have some, uh, some woody uh, invasive species like on our trails that we've tried to manage. Mostly, um, you know, we're lucky we don't have zebra mussels. We don't have uh, some of that, uh, oh gosh, giant salvinia mm -hmm. that kind of plagues mm -hmm. kind of uh, central and south Texas. So we're, we're lucky in that aspect where we haven't gotten hit too hard with it. And prevention is key, I would imagine. Absolutely. Right? So we definitely, for boaters that like to come out, um, we have, uh, in coordination with Texas Parks and Wildlife, the Clean, Drain, and Dry Your Boat campaign signs. Um, and whenever we conduct water safety uh, talks, we'll say, hey, don't forget to do that if they're coming out of the water. Um, try, just try to spread that education. Right, right. You talked earlier about one of the hats you wear would be patrolling um, and obviously you'd be out on the lakes maybe during the weekend or, or holidays things like that driving around making sure everything is uh, copacetic so what do you look for when you're out on the lake and patrolling so as park rangers with the corps of engineers we can only enforce title 36 right so i'm not a law enforcement officer i'm a corps of engineers park ranger so i look at title 36 which is has all of our rules and regs on what you can and cannot do on core property especially in a public park so some of it is uh what we call common sense rules you know keep uh keeping your your pets on a leash, cleaning up after them, uh, parking issues. Those are some of the more easy stuff. Some of the, the bigger stuff is, you know, like hunting permits. Uh, we deal with a lot on the 4th of July, a lot of firework issues. Can't have fireworks on Corps of Engineers property. Um, most of the time you're looking to make sure that public safety is going well, you know, uh, you try to make sure that the environment is getting protected. So, you know, when you get a campsite, you can't just go chop down the closest dead, or even if it looks dead tree, you need to uh, bring, you know, either that buy your own safe firewood or use some of the firewood that's provided. Mm -hmm. uh, so we do some education on that. Um, sometimes just public disputes tr or traffic control, just trying to make sure that uh, there's not too many people in the parks, so you don't have too much overcrowding, and make sure that there's enough facilities for everyone to share. Mm -hmm. um, you know, right now uh, we've been trying to work uh, on getting those day use parks open. So currently the swim beaches are closed uh, and so we still just need to try to figure out how we're going to move forward. Uh, leadership gets to decide how we move forward with that and trying to make sure that everybody has a safe environment to go out and recreate. Right on. So as everybody knows, there are public safety measures that were put in place um, at the start of the coronavirus pandemic, and one of those was closing day use areas. Now they're open, not all of them though. And I want I want to talk about a little bit, talk a little bit about why a park would be closed to try to give our listeners a sense of, hey, the park's not closed because we just wanted to close it. It's closed because one or another thing is happening. Yeah. Uh. So one important thing to keep in mind, especially at Bembrook Lake, is. We're a flood control lake, like we kind of talked about earlier, how, um, you know, we were built to prevent downstream flooding of Fort Worth, right? So we said, okay, the Corps of Engineers bought the surrounding uh, area and we turned it into parks. So recreation is a byproduct of flood control. In uh, March, we had a lot of rain. We went up about 13, 14 feet, which was very close to topping our spillway, which is a pretty historic event in of itself. So all the parks went underwater and created a lot of flood damage. Now, 
that being said, some of these parks are designed to be flooded like this, but that means that, you know, sometimes campsites go underwater and we take the necessary safety precautions to remove pedestals and make sure electricity is turned off, but we got to be able to repair it and turn it back on and we need to do that safely. Well, currently, uh, we were trying to get the day-use parks open, which don't have water and electricity, but you had a lot of flood uh, debris. Mm -hmm. So we had to get, we had to rent a piece of equipment. And uh, what a lot of people, I don't think they understand, is we do a lot of this work ourselves, mm -hmm. especially at Benbrook. We're not hiring contractors. We have an excellent uh, top-tier volunteer crew that can drive these pieces of equipment. Uh, they can help us uh, fix sites. They can help us uh, get... Uh, the park looking more beautiful because just because it's safe we don't want to open the park back up and not have it at a certain standard mm -hmm. we understand we don't like the parks being closed nope. but not at all and we want to make sure it's up to a certain level of care um, that we can also pride ourselves on uh, to make sure the public actually enjoys it so by doing a lot of this work ourselves uh, we're relieving a lot of uh, necessity for contracting. Saving money. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So uh, some of those hats I was talking about, you know, I was driving a backhoe. My partner, I talked about Chris Brewer, he, he's taught me uh, how to drive some uh, small machinery <laughs> and, you know, uh, stuff to start out on and to really help out and, pro and, and really uh, provide uh, support to some of our maintenance guys and our volunteer crew mm -hmm. so that way uh, long after they're done working after lunch you know or after hour we're still really chugging away trying mm -hmm. to get um that, that debris cleaned up another thing we do is we uh we have burn piles within the park mm -hmm. uh, to get rid of that woody debris in a more safely and, and uh timely manner yep. uh which takes uh which means that the park rangers have to be trained as uh a, you know for wildland firefighters essentially which we most of us have so we're able to go light these piles maintain them and follow them from the beginning till the end and make sure that uh, it's safe for uh, people to come out there afterwards you've talked a lot about um, Chris Brewer and uh, the, the other folks and the volunteers at the lake earlier uh, on the way over here you were talking about the Benbrook family tell me a little bit about what that's all about so when I, I used to be in charge of the Benbrook volunteer program and I cannot honestly give them enough praises, but one of the questions, you know, we, we start uh, interviewing people that want to join our, uh, our program. You know, we talk about, hey, uh, I could call uh, any one of these guys at any time of day, whether I was on duty or not, and they would come help me. Um, and that goes for everybody. Uh, these guys are, uh, they're top-notch uh, workers and they also care and they have a, a sense of pride mm -hmm. uh, which also I believe that the employees uh, they show it and, it, and it, it's just infectious so um, the Benbrook family mentality is also the park rangers and the maintenance staff getting along we work together on projects we don't we try to work together on on multiple projects mm -hmm. um, for instance me and the CET are working to try to get some pay stations installed so and what's the CET uh, that is the civil engineering technician okay. um, the other maintenance uh, uh, position would be a wage grade employee um, and so right now uh, at the time of recording we're still trying to fill that position so maybe by the time this comes out we'll have another wage grade employee with us to kind of help get these parks moving along and making sure that our dam's taken care of yeah, so get everything uh, tip-top shape for the summer huh absolutely and does, uh, does this these parks get pretty busy in the summertime yeah absolutely uh, I and would you require you you 
rely on your volunteers uh, and your gate attendants a lot for oversight on the parks and the camping grounds, right? Yes. Right now, um, we have five sets of gate attendants over three parks. Um, two at our North Holiday Day Use Park, uh, two sets at our South Holiday Campground, and one set at our Bear Creek Campground. Um, we have volunteers uh, that live on site in uh, almost all of our parks. They help even after hours keep an eye out. Uh, you know, they're jokingly they call park rangers the eyes and ears of of the parks but i would also say that sometimes our volunteers as well they live out there they see what's going on they communicate with us to try to make sure that everything is taken care of um and that it some of those volunteers you know their primary duty is maintenance mm -hmm. but they're sitting out here trying to help me coordinate with the local uh, police department and gather information um, until one of us can show up and, and relieve them same with our gate attendants our, our contracted gate attendants are uh, most they're, they're just top-notch as well and which I can say because I train them. <laughs> so, shameless plug. Yeah, shameless plug there. Um, so you know we really we really work together to make sure that we can just provide the best uh, recreation experience and make sure that you know we're doing the best we can with what we have. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after we um, go play around in the water a little bit. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll be right back. Always wear your life jacket. Be smart. Hey folks, welcome back to Life is Better at the Lake. Once again, we are here on Benbrook, and my guest today is Lindy Black. Let's get back into this, Lindy. Why don't we talk a little bit about, what were we gonna talk about? Mr. Heron. Oh yeah. <laughs> Tell me about Mr. Heron. Mr. Heron is my arch nemesis. Oh yeah? He is, he is that guy that does not listen to any rule. He breaks every single one of them. It started off a little bit as a joke. I, for social media purposes, you know, he would go fish on the boat ramp. He would go loiter on the on the courtesy dock. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've caught him fishing without a license. You know, and I always document it by taking pictures of him. And I, I mean, that dang Mr. Heron, I, I can never catch him either. I always chuckle <laughs> when I see you post a, a picture of Mr. Heron on Facebook. And just to be clear, folks, we are talking about a blue heron. Absolutely, he is. He is the most dastardly guy out here. You cannot. You can't. There, it doesn't get worse than him. Aaron don't care, not at all. You wanted to talk a little bit about um, a program that you're heavily involved with that you care a lot about. Why don't you tell me? Tell me what that is. Yeah, um, the Critical Incident Stress Management Program, or CISM, is a grassroots program that started actually in SWD. Uh, our lead ranger Terry Schmidt was a big. Uh, founding member actually uh, almost 20 years ago. It is a program that contains peer supporters, or trained peer supporters like myself, uh, a lot of park rangers, but people from everywhere in every department of the Corps are in SISM and we get trained to, you know, help out our fellow employee. Sometimes, you know, life throws you a curveball. Uh, park rangers have to deal with a lot of stressful incidences. But that doesn't mean that somebody who works in the district office or up at headquarters doesn't deal with stressful incidences as well. So CISM was created to support 
core employees. It's confidential, that me, and we don't report to your superiors. Uh, that means that no matter what's going on in your life, there's only certain reportable actions. As long as we don't meet those, everything we talk about stays between us. You go home feeling hopefully a little bit like the the pressure valve got released, and we provide. Um, we provide support and we provide information uh, such as the employee assistance program, uh, making sure that, you know, whatever you need from counseling services to financial problems uh, to even child care services under the EAP, we want to make sure that people know, hey, SISM is here for you, I'm here, I'm your peer, and I care for you. All right, thanks for that, Lindy. That sounds like a really important program, and I can understand, you know, being a core employee myself that it's probably a little bit different and maybe easier to talk to somebody that may have been in the situation that's causing you some stress in your life because they could be your coworker or at least they work for the core and could have been in your shoes in the past. So that's a nice, that's a great program. And what was your role again in the program? I'm a peer supporter. Mm -hmm. uh, that just means I have been trained in uh, psychological first aid and how to diffuse some situations and how to go in and talk to people individually, one-on-one, or perhaps within a group. And how could somebody find out more about this program? Uh, you can look on the CORE's intranet page. Uh, there is also a phone number that I will give you a little plug so yeah. people can go call. We have an uh, email uh, okay. line as well. And that information will be in the description box below. So you can uh, reference that if you might need to call on those services. All right, let's move on to, we have to, since we're on the boat, <laughs> we have to first talk about water safety overall. Let's talk about what to do if you encounter a drowning victim. What do we do? Right, so there's a easy little moniker to kind of help you remember it. It's reach, throw, row, don't go, call for help. Okay, so the first thing you want to do is if the uh, potential victim is close enough to you, you want to be able to reach out, but you don't want to reach out with your hand because that means I could pull you under. You want to reach out with some kind of flotation device or an oar or something that's long enough that you might be able to reach them. Mm -hmm. If this victim is a little bit further away, then perhaps you can throw it. You know, there's uh, we do have type 4 emergency throwable devices such as a life ring. Um, you could throw this and try to get it as close to the person as possible. Uh, so that way they can hold on and you want to make sure that they can at least hold on to it And if you have an item such as a throw bag, you'd be able to, to pull them in You could even just throw every every boat should have some sort of mooring line. You yeah. can throw that to them Absolutely, right? that would work too. I've seen people attach a rope to a cooler. Mm -hmm. That is that is uh, uh, Some engineering there, but it, <laughs> hey, you know what it, it worked what works, um, yeah. Uh, so you have reach, you have uh, throw, uh, rowing it implies that you're going uh, towards the drowning victim, but again, you want to maintain that distance because it's important. You cannot help the person if you are not helped yourself, right? Got to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. And that leads us to... So you can row out uh, to the person and again, uh, start over the cycle. You can reach for them with that device. You can throw the the, th uh, the ring or the throw bag, um, or you could wear a, uh, you could throw a life jacket at them. 
um, and perhaps they would be able to hold on to it until you could bring them to shore and make sure it's getting fitted properly. Um, then at the very, you know, very least, call for help. Yeah. Uh, try to get some more people involved, uh, some more trained people to help you get that person out of the water and back to safety. Mm-hmm. And what, on average, how long does it take from the time someone falls into the water until they're no longer with us? How long does that usually take? Oh gosh, uh, it can take anywhere from, uh, I believe it's like 30 seconds yeah. for a drowning victim. Um, you, I know also, in addition, when a person falls into the water not wearing a life jacket, it can take 10 minutes for them to put on their life jacket while they're in the water. Uh, that's 10 minutes is a long time if you're trying to tread water for that long. Yeah. So. Even if you're one of the most skilled swimmers, huh? Absolutely. Now that we've talked about drowning uh, awareness, let's talk a little bit about boating safety. So what, when you guys are, when you guys go out yourselves, but when you are patrolling um, the lake and looking at boats, what do you, what are the four required things that the uh, um, people on the boat need to have? Okay, so obviously very easy to see right now, personal life vest, this fits me. This is actually a type five inflatable. That is a type, Trevor's wearing a type three. Um, it fits it, and you want to make sure that if you fall into the water, it's not going to flip off. Mm -hmm. This one inflates when it hits the water. It also has a manual device that I can engage at any point I wish. And then also there is a way for me to blow it up if I unzip it. That also, um, it not only do you need a life vest that fits you, you need one that fits every person on the boat. This is extremely important. If you are a 200 pound grown man, you cannot wear a child size uh, PFD. This, right. this is not good. Um, the next thing you want to make sure you have is a fire extinguisher and it needs to be in service. So that little gauge that shows it in the green getting close there to red, that means we need to start servicing it. <laughs> Still in the green. Still in the green, but that just means we're getting time. So we- It's got an inspection record on it. Yep. It's got uh, a fire marshal tag on it. So every time you go out on the boat, you should be inspecting all of your safety equipment. And it's good uh, to have more than one fire extinguisher. Um, and depending on the size of your vessel, you, uh, you might need multiple to begin with, so. And then what's another thing that we need? You need a noise producing device, such as a horn or whistle. There you go. Ooh, that was loud. <laughs> um, let's see, so we've covered the personal um, flotation device. We've covered uh, the noise producing device. We covered the fire extinguisher. And the last thing you need is a type four throwable. This counts as a throwable ring. Uh, you can also have the seat cushion, mm -hmm. as I like to call it. A lot of fishermen, uh, a lot of boat recreators love to have that throwable cushion. They sit under it. It's an excellent place. What also I would encourage people to understand is just because you have all these items, they need to be readily accessible. This means you, it doesn't need to be locked in a cabinet. Right. It needs to be something you could grab in a few seconds mm -hmm. to help render aid. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people this is where we do our inspections this is the part where we're like okay you know they're digging under their cabins for a few minutes trying to find these uh throwable cushion it's like okay that person might not be here if it had taken you this long to and you're, get that. you're not out here patrolling to write tickets you're out here for public safety that's you're correct here, you're doing your inspections just to make sure everything's on the up and up just in case there was somebody to fall overboard or something a fire were to happen on a boat 
your spot checks are there to ensure that these people have the right equipment they need to survive that uh, incident. Absolutely. Uh, our number one goal is safety. I want to go home. I want my partner to go home. I want all of my rangers to go home and I want the public every day. I want them to go home. That's our goal. So in light of uh, developments in public safety uh, regarding the coronavirus pandemic, you guys have opened up your parks and camping will start. Well, by the time this airs, camping will have uh, started. They're already taking reservations at, uh, what's the website, Lindy? Recreation.gov. There you go. But even though the parks are open and the public is allowed to come use the day use areas and camp, we still want to make sure that you guys are cognizant of social distancing. And social distancing is simply keeping six feet between yourself and other, other people. And that helps prevent the spread, uh, stop the spread of the coronavirus. And I think we got a, we got an ore up here that we can take down, can't we? Yeah, I think so. And let's see here. You want to come stand over here, Lindy? Okay. Even on a boat, you can social distance yourself. Look at that. That's a six foot oar. That's actually, let's see. Yeah, it's a six foot oar. <laughs> so even on a boat, you can social distance yourself. So I know it's a lot of people get relaxed around friends and family. You got a pontoon boat, you come out, you have 11 people on that pontoon boat. That's not safe to begin with, coronavirus or not. But just keep, keep some space between yourself and other people and help stop the spread. That way we can continue to enjoy uh, the recreation opportunities that the Fort Worth District provides at Benbrook. And I think that's going to do it for us out here at Benbrook. I want to thank Lindy for having me out on the lake. <laughs> Come on around here, introduce yourself. This is our tech guy. This guy, this guy <laughs> solved the problem of multiple camera angles. Um, introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Andy Jasper. I'm the summer ranger here at Benbrook Lake. Yeah, he's a smart guy. I wish you could see the whole rig we got set up here. It wasn't easy setting up all this equipment on a boat with uh, minimal power, but... Hey, but we did it. We did it. We did it. That's one of those hats, right? Yes, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> a sound engineer. <laughs> a field sound engineer. Well, that's going to do us do it for us out here at Benbrook. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We got the Facebook. We got the Twitter. We got the Instagram. You can find us on YouTube. You can listen to this podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. To get the full effect, watch it on YouTube. You won't want to miss this episode. Also, to, to, also to, uh, to make reservations, as Lindy said earlier, for camping, go to recreation.gov, make your reservations there. It's a very easy site to navigate. And to find out more information about Benbrook's history, um, which parks are open and closed, what, um, what level the pool is at, all that information can be found on the website, and that link to the Benbrook Lakes website will be in the description box below. Make sure you check that out. Uh, there's a phone number there. Call the office if you need any, any information before going out to the lake. Um, and that's going to do it for us. Thanks so much for joining us, and catch us next time on Life is Better at the Lake. See ya. Bye.